saying welcome back to another episode of the Linka podcast my name is Suleiman and yeah today episode 9 um, alhamdulillah gone that far um and today is a very special episode not only because it's the first episode we are now face to face on a alhamdulillah amazing set um also because of our esteemed speaker who I'm introducing a bit inshallah um but yeah Today's episode, but before um, I get into the today's podcast, if I can ask everyone, wherever you listen to this podcast, on be Apple Podcast, Spotify, or YouTube, share like wildfire, share with your friends, your families, your neighbors, your auntie down the road, the chippies down the road, anybody, inshallah, yeah. Um, if you listen to us on Apple Podcast, please do give us a five star rating. If you listen to us on YouTube, um, smash the like button, subscribe. And yeah, and leave a comment on how you found today's episode, what your favorite part was, what you thought about it, as well as any topics you'd like me to talk about, any potential guests you'd like me to bring on, inshallah. And without further ado, let's get into today's podcast. So today I brought on a very, very special brother. His name is Sabir Ghafoor. He is someone who um, has done youth work for 18 years, if I'm not mistaken. 20 years About 20 years Alhamdulillah <laughs> And he's done it All over um, The Midlands um, In very various Different institutions For different organisations He's helped um, A lot of vulnerable um, Young Not only young people But also their families um, And yeah Today we're going to have A bit of talk about him His line of work Some experiences That he's had Dealing with young people As well as some advice That he can give To young Muslims Living in Western society So after they do Assalamualaikum Brother Sabir How are you doing? Walaikum Salaam Alhamdulillah um, thank you for having me today. Um, you know, it's like here. It's nice to be to be on the show. Uh, Marshall, you've got some really good content. I've been looking at it, and uh, you know, Allah bless. Um, you know, all you brothers who are doing this because it's needed. And uh, inshallah, Allah will will put barakat in this, and uh, we will spread, and, and people will learn and, and benefit from this podcast. Um, on our YouTube channel as well. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So, uh, how, how have you been? How's um, well. It's kind of not really much of a lockdown now, but how has the past year lockdown been with you? Not you know, not just also in your line of work, but you generally, how's it been? It's been alhamdulillah, it's been it's been challenging. It's been really challenging because sort of with a lot of the, the youth projects and community projects, you're working with people first hand frontline. Mm. And um when you're when you're restricted, it becomes really difficult because yeah. if you're working with say um you're mentoring somebody who's who's in dire need of support, whether that be sort of a one to one mentoring or, or or some sort of resource, if you take that away. Um, and they're relying on that, then it becomes very, very hard to kind of do your job. So I think the last 12 months, we've really had to become really innovative in terms of how we deliver and what we do. And uh, we've probably come, I mean, alhamdulillah, like for the people that I've been working with, the team I've been with, we've been really, really busy mm-hmm. trying to figure out ways to, to get around it. And uh, it's been really hard, but alhamdulillah, I think now as things start to get back to normal, Shalai. things are coming together. But um, it's been tough because like I said, when you're not working with somebody mm-hmm. um, firsthand, face-to-face, it's different. It's a lot it's hard different. To tell. It's yeah. hard to tell, you know, like, um, the, you know, I'm assuming in your line of work, you have to like look at their facial expression, how they're feeling. And a lot of that is very difficult to tell, especially over the phone. It is, it is. I mean, mm-hmm. um, when you're working with people firsthand, um, I think there's something about having a face-to-face conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I think we'll agree that when you're talking to somebody face-to-face has much more of an impact as opposed to when you're having a phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think um, a lot of communication as well is not just what you say, but it's your body language as well. So you yeah. can pick up so much and kind of what you said. You can learn so much more when you're with somebody because if somebody's holding something back or you can see that the concern was an issue, yeah. Then you can see that you can say, okay, let's really have the, let's have a real conversation. Mm. But over the phone, you know, anybody can say, you know, kind of what you want to hear. And sometimes I think when somebody's struggling, I think what mm. I find with a lot of young people is they don't reach out. No, and that's probably one of the things that I really want to bring to talk about today as well is that 100%. if you're struggling mm. with whatever it is, whether it's mental health, whether it's personal situation, circumstances, whether it's, you know, um, something that's going on in the house, or the family, mm. the community, if you're involved in a gang, you know, if you're being bullied, you need mm. to talk talk to people. And I think that's yeah. the number one thing I see that young people are not doing when they're 100%. struggling. Um, 100%. Before we get on to all that, inshallah, what I like to do, all my guests, is do like, um, if want, kind of like a quick fire round question where I ask some very deep questions, um, just so that the audience can get a better know of yourself um, and, you know, you know, a better know of yourself, inshallah. So the first question is, um, most of them, you know, as a Muslim, who would you say is your favorite Sahaba slash Islamic pers- Islamic historical figure and why? With the Sahaba, it's a tough one because they were the first generation and there were so many Sahabas that come to mind who 
who was so um so pro, um so proactive so mm-hmm. it's really difficult to kind of single out one of the sahabas um what i would say is alhamdulillah i think what i try tend to do is is look at the seerah the prophet peace mm-hmm. be upon him so, so. Salam, and I, I like to look at the sahabas and kind of the different roles that they they played um and and again sort of um you know bilal comes to mind because um I feel that I can relate to Bilal as a Sahaba, you know, radiallahu because he was he was a uh, you know he was black, you know, mm-hmm. happened I have to be Asian living in you know um um in in, in you know in the UK and I have to admit a lot of my work's been in, in areas because it's been national some of the work yeah, and I've yeah. been into areas where it's been predominantly white. Mm-hmm. So I've had to deal with firsthand, you know, people amazed to see me and believe it or not, I've had many, many experiences like that where people have had the strangest conversations well, because I have to be Asian. But and also I think um, if you look at sort of Bilal, um his struggles, you know, I feel yeah. a lot of young people, so not young people, people generally can relate to what he, he went through in terms of, you know, being a slave and then um sort of how Rasulullah gave him sort of the honor of the Zan and how um, you know, it just shows that, you know, through that 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 interaction, that equality Really, what what that really means? Because Rasulullah you know, he took Bilal and said, you know, gave him the honor of giving the, you know, one of the first designs. Um, and that's such a privilege because yeah. you know we don't think of it like this. But he was the 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 original, you know, Dahi who gave the azan, you know, Swala. And you know, um, you know, so it's such a blessed honor. But I think the struggles of 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 his life and and kind of what he went through, and um, you know, what what he achieved in terms of you know. Um, just being a simple man and um, you know subhanAllah so similarly you know the, the, I think there's you know so many of the companions and the sahabas you know um, you know let's look at um, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu you know um, you know a man who's generous you know mm-hmm. and we're talking about generous um, whereby he he gave pretty much everything up for the sake of the deen and I think what people have to realize is that that these are real people, you know, yeah. these these are real events that took place, and uh, we're talking about um, people who recognize the beauty of our deen, and that's the thing that you know I want to emphasize to you know uh, anybody listening is our deen is beautiful, you know, Allah Subhanahu wa you know says in the Quran today I perfected your deen for a reason. And Alhamdulillah, it's so beautiful, it's such a blessing because um, every facet is covered. You know, within our within our deen, in terms of not just how the Quran, how Allah talks to us, but in terms of the practical advice that we can learn from Rasulullah Sallallahu and the Sahabas the Sahabas as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think um, you know, um, tough one really, um, but yeah, I think Hazrat Ali as well, Hazrat Ali as well. Because I think that was quite good. <laughs> you know what? You know, obviously, even for me personally, it's difficult to choose yeah. with Sahaba, but I think, like you said, each Sahaba we can learn a lesson from the life which we can actually probably. Relate with and probably implement in our own lives, and like you said, you know the Sahaba. You know, we like, a lot of times we tend to see them as like you know these big, you know, like story tale kind of people. When really in reality, they were normal people like me and Joseph. That the only thing that probably made them different, which is what why they a lot why they praise a lot, is because of their love for the Deen, their conviction for the what they actually stood, how they stood for the Deen. Alhamdulillah. Um, second question to yourself: um, What motivates you? What motivates you to get up every day? You know, put on your workload and start working with and do what you do basically. I think first and foremost, it is the Dean. It is it is sort of reading the the Quran mm-hmm. and uh, you know um, connecting with the Quran on a daily basis. So when I say that, not just reciting, but also reading the English translation uh, and looking at the the reminders, because as human beings, what happens is we can read the Quran or we can read anything and we'll forget. So when you come back to it, it, it picks you up a bit. So I tend to look at the message of the Quran, mm. while Allah Subhanahu teaches, and uh, a lot of our deen is about being proactive. Mm. Um, and then secondly as well, being a dad, you know, my daughter, um, Alhamdulillah, I've got a beautiful little daughter. Mashallah, she's going to turn 13 soon. Um, and, um, you know, having a daughter, having a wife, having a family, really motivates me i'm also an uncle i've i've got four you know four sisters and mashallah um very family i've got nephews and nieces so i feel that alhamdulillah i feel like i i have to be um, a positive role model for them as well mm. so um i think that's that's what really drives me to to kind of do and, and, and what i do really alhamdulillah that's, that's beautiful subhanallah absolutely beautiful um now this is a very deep one um as a believer as a muslim why do you feel what do you think or feel is a big barrier which kind of prevents you or de- or kind of if I say deters you from further strengthening your relationship with Allah with Islam what do you what thing what do you feel like one of the major barriers are I think alhamdulillah I think I'm at a point now where 
Um, I, I I try to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as best as I can. Mm. I think from from experience and just looking around, I think we're living in a time where materialism is very, very prevalent. Mm. And I think um, you know, people are very caught up with work life. So often, you know, when I'm working, mm. um, you know, when I'm on, on, on you know, I'm offsite, I'm working in a place where there's no masjid, there's no wudu area. Mm. There's sometimes things that slack can be difficult. Mm. So I think what I try and do, um, you know, I I try to sort of plan around my salah, but I'm going to be really honest. I'd be lying if I said that I get it right. Sometimes mm. it's just so difficult. So I think you know, if you're not praying, you know, um, on time, you know, mm. and and I really highly you know recommend that everybody prays their five prayers as prescribed because mm. alhamdulillah, you know, if I miss my prayer and I end up like sort of putting together the salah because of work reasons, it's it's not the same. It's not the mm. same. So I think you know, connecting with Allah is important, and I think you know, making time sometimes of work just to make your salah, um, and also I think sometimes you get challenged a lot. You know, people. Sometimes Sometimes mm-hmm. you're driving in road rage, you know, somebody's just really aggressive for no apparent reason, or somebody cuts you in. And I think we have to exercise patience as well, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, it's part and package of our deen. It's something that Allah Subhanahu prescribes to us. Um, you know, Allah Subhanahu says, glad, give glad tidings to those who are patient. And I think sometimes, you know, the modern living, we we say things, we do things, yeah. we act upon emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something we shouldn't be doing because um, it's not necessary and it's not it's not productive. It's mm-hmm. counterproductive. 100%. Next question, inshallah, a part of uh, this segment. Um, you know, when you were younger, um, what do you feel could have helped you as a young Muslim in dealing in probably navigating through the many issues that you faced when you were a young Muslim living in Western society? I think for me, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm from another generation. You, you guys, like mashallah, you're from a new generation. Um, when I was growing up, sort of, um, sort of around, sort of when I was a teen, say 96, 97, mm. um, I think what I needed then um, was somebody to be able to talk to me about the deen and give me guidance because mm. what I was finding back then was a lot of the times if I go to a masjid and I had a conversation with somebody I was talking to people from mm. another generation who would often come from Pakistan mm. and there was a real cultural barrier there and also but, like what 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 kind of their struggles yes. or what they see as struggles what they see issues yeah. is different to what you yes. see so they can't like yes. relate with you but I often get shut mm. down if I asked okay. the wrong question well mm. not the wrong question what they deemed was the wrong question they would shut me down so if I said something like um you know, um, I mean, I wouldn't even dare ask some of the questions that yeah. people ask me today. But if I was to say to them something like, well, I'm, I, I'm smoking, not that I smoke, but for example, yeah. if I said I'm smoking, they wouldn't really give me a solution. What would have happened in my day? They would have just shouted at me, yeah. told me that um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, um, you know, completely wrong for doing that, which is mm. correct. It's fine. It's own place. But I think you need the hikmah as well. You of can't course, just shout and not explain why. Of course, that I was think, missing yeah. growing up. I think, I think that's probably one that, I think that's one, I think something which a lot of young Muslims kind of go to, the fact that they don't have Somebody who, you know, somebody who they can relate with, somebody who goes, who's been through or has experienced some kind of issues that they've been through and can give them some kind of advice, of, like you said, with hikmah, through Islam, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. L- hikmah, qu- hikmah being wisdom for anybody who, who's not Yeah, sorry, hikmah being word. wisdom, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, the last question, if you could go back and meet your younger self, what advice would you give him? You go back and meet younger Savid. What advice would you give you? Would you give younger self? <laughs> I think I'd probably pull myself in the neck and say, "Fix up, man. <laughs> Get your grades. You know, keep keep doing what you're doing." I think I think when you're younger, I think from on hindsight, I think you, you, when you're young, you, you do a lot of things that as you get older, you look back and you think, "What was I thinking?" So there's probably been so many instances where I look back and I'm like, you know, but I don't do shoulda, coulda, woulda because alhamdulillah, everything is a lesson and you learn, yeah. you, you learn and you grow. But if I go back, I probably think first and foremost, the biggest thing I would have said to myself is just um, stay connected to the deen. Don't let everything distract you um, because those, you know, sometimes the world distracts us and we end up sort of just distancing, distancing, yeah, ourselves, distancing ourselves so much so. Yeah. Um, but alhamdulillah, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been kind to me and, and is always guiding me, you know. Yeah. And um, so I think there's been, as I've got older, alhamdulillah, I feel that I've got wiser and um, my mind's only getting stronger alhamdulillah which is such a blessing yeah i mean i mean alhamdulillah how do you find that uh, that that those deep questions alhamdulillah it's it's, i think it's it's interesting because i think when you're not expecting it it, you sometimes you say things that made yourself you're like did i really say that you know did i would i would i really go back and shake myself from the neck it is inshallah you know i think it gives it's giving me a lot of things to reflect about myself inshallah um now getting on today's kind of like um podcast you know we're going to talk about be about yourself some stuff you've done, um, you know, in your field of work, you know, dealing with youngsters. Um, as, well as, so, as well, one thing I'll touch upon is the issue of confidence as well. How do young people build confidence in themselves? How do young Muslims attain this attribute of confidence when it comes to the deen, etc.? But before we get into that, um, first I want to ask you is that, you know, why youth work? 
why is it that what compelled you towards actually starting it with embarking on a career in youth work and as you said you know you spoke to me before we started recording that you're doing um a lot of um stuff in the community uh, for a lot of organizations you know pr- predominantly a lot of it being youth work why you know like what what drove you towards doing that so i think um alhamdulillah i think growing up what it was is i was younger of four Four mm-hmm. sisters and my dad died when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, I was looking for a male role model mm-hmm. growing up. So I think what happened with me at a young age, um, alhamdulillah, you know, I had some friends, um, got friends, sort of an older crowd at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And um, that was for me looking for a male role model. That's what that was really about. So mm-hmm. I was hanging around with guys a lot older than me. Um, alhamdulillah, you know, they, they, were, they were good guys to be fair. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of them were into the fitness and the gym scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got into that and I was quite blessed because, um, you know, I'd met other people who were older than me who were doing all sorts and, you know, that was, you know, an option that was mm-hmm. there then. But mm-hmm. alhamdulillah, guided me and I knew that there were some things I wasn't going to do. Um, so when I got into sort of youth work, it wasn't really planned actually when I actually did my sports studies when I was in college and I okay. got my PT in. Mm-hmm. So alhamdulillah, my first job ended up being in, in a college um, and then... Um, I went in from from a sports um, from in a sports role, so I was going to be a sports coordinator. But they ended up putting me into what they call the student liaison team, which was like a youth role. Okay. Um, and that wasn't really planned, but I happened to end up in that role. But um, once I got in there, I found that um, I actually could connect. And I was only 22, 23 myself, so okay. I was working with some young people. Say young people, some of them were the same age or even older than me from the mm. area. So um, I think for me it was just the natural sort of transition from the sports into just dealing with young people issues. Um, and at the time I could relate to a lot of it because I was that age group. Yeah. I think for me, I was thrown into the deep end because it was things like I had to learn things like professional boundaries. Like mm. when you're at work, these are not your friends. Even if you know from the area, yeah. you know, you've got to be a professional. And, um, you know, that was um, one of the challenges because often when you're young, people then want to become friends with you and you have yeah, to know um, how to keep that but going back to what 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 it was it was just the natural transition from sports into youth work and um as I got a flavor for it um I transitioned after a couple of years into another college with a mm-hmm. predominantly sort of um a youth work role within the college where I was working with different people different um, backgrounds mm-hmm. different situations and often I, I got to work with and I've always worked with hard to reach young people mm-hmm. and that transitioned after another three years into another college where there was another three years doing a, a roof role in a bigger capacity now oh, wow. where I was doing sort of projects we were taking students abroad we'd been an international um, then, wow. alhamdulillah then I went into like the third sector and uh there was like a 10 year run um, in the third sector with national organizations doing all sorts of youth projects from setting up apprenticeship programs to working with deprived communities to, to kind of getting people who were in gangs out of trouble to, from, from hardship to, you know, alhamdulillah, you named it, you know, alhamdulillah, I've been involved in to some degree and it's been a real journey. Um, but I think the more I got into the projects and as I got older, um, I think what came apparent was there was a massive need. There was a mm-hmm. massive need. There were so many young people and families, not just young people, communities who were in massive need of of, of support. And that mm-hmm. can be resource. It could be just people. It could be it could be sort of um, um, actual sort of um, sort of day to day just living items that they don't have. Yeah. You know, so we're talking food. We're talking white goods. We're talking you know hardship in terms of you know um, not enough money coming in and then deprivation mm-hmm. of the area yeah, yeah. we're talking exploitation where there's things going on in the family we're talking mm-hmm. about somebody being end up sofa surfing at 15 you know not having a home homelessness and as I sort of saw more and more of this alhamdulillah I think you know um, what was the blessing was Allah kind of made me inclined to want to, to kind of do more and, mm-hmm. and I think that was the blessing mm-hmm. um, and I think it's been um, for me it's, it's really really taught me a lot about life because when I went in, I was green and I just thought everything was good, you know, yeah. as a kid. And I think growing up and, and getting involved at a very young age and, and growing up doing youth work, you know, mm-hmm. starting off at 22, 23, now I'm 40 years old. I'm mm-hmm. like, it's really, really matured. I mean, it's helped me with my life as well because it's been a two-way thing. And sometimes yeah. when I've worked with some really difficult situations, the people I've worked with have given me strength because I'm thinking if they can get through that, then what's mm-hmm. my excuse? So I'm mm-hmm. like, it's been a two-way. You know, in terms of in your line of work, um, what... You know, like, what are some of the challenges that you feel like you've, you, you've, you've faced, especially dealing, because you mentioned a lot of things that like you deal with, like, you still dealt with some extreme cases, you dealt with people who are involved in knife crime, you know, from very vulnerable families. Um, I think you said, you know, those kind of stuff. What has been some of the challenges in dealing with this? I think the, the challenges are is that often when you're working with somebody who's, um, who's young mm. and they have become conditioned to think in a certain way. Yeah. So... You know, even some of my most recent roles, um, the common theme that I find is when you're working with young people who say who have grown up where they've seen violence, domestic violence yeah. in the home, 
and then they've got out and gone into a gang and then they've got into the, you know some sort of violence themselves mm. it's a, it's a, it's a pattern of behavior that becomes sort of normalized and i think what's one of the difficult challenges is that when you then you know you, you might meet this person after 18 19 years of them seeing the world mm. from a very violent perspective mm. and a lot of people have failed these young people as well so when they see you, like when I meet these young people, often they think from their previous experiences mm. where some of the services haven't sort of s- stepped up, they they also, they make an assumption that I'm going to fail them as well. Yeah. And their behavior is just normal to them. You know, it's what's yeah. wrong with, if somebody looks at me and I, I get into a fight, isn't that normal? And it's like, no, it's not. So for me, it's breaking down that young person and starting from scratch. And that's the hardest thing. It's establish that mm. relationship and that trust. But that takes time. But alhamdulillah, I think when you do the work that I do, is I think you, you get to a point where you learn to communicate with different people. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, transparency is key to it showing people that you really care you, you are helping you're trying the best you can and if that means it's going to take time and effort and patience but I think people it doesn't take long for somebody to see that you're genuine and I think that mm-hmm. shows you know and I think we can all agree when you meet somebody who's really trying yeah, of course, you kind of, of course. just know something inside yeah. says okay this 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 person is is trying and I think that's all it is really alhamdulillah I think, I, I think you know especially like kind of what you said is that you know when Young people, especially when they when they when they've been put into an environment, because that kind of like what you know the same kind of goes. You know, you are you know you are a um, fruit of your environment. Yes. You know, when a young people when a young person he's put into a certain environment which is very hostile, which is very um, chaotic. You know, he's naturally he's in, he always gonna see is that's what's normal for me. Yeah. And that's what I should do. I think unfortunately today we live in a society where these things are not only like become normalized but widely promoted. For forget just young Muslim, but for young people in, in particular. Yeah. But I kind of like what you said, the whole this thing about street life, not knife crime, it become very, very promoted where you see whatever it is, be it through the entertainment industry, be it through like the kind of culture, um, which I've seen amongst a lot of my own social groups, a lot of you know, people who I've been around, you know, kind of like you know, um this behavior which is kinda like which is kinda like been um which has kind of been adopted within within a lot of young people via what's been promoted in society. I think that, that that's probably probably for yourself. That's probably one of the biggest challenges, kind of break that and trying to like, you know, trying to like build some kind of rapport and short term that looks like I'm trying to help you here. Yeah. You know, don't you know? Look, it looks like I'm not here to just like you know, just like you know, just like pass kick judgment. a box yeah, yeah, yeah. or to pass judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here yeah. to help you. I think because when people have become so normalized to a certain environment, and you know, they don't want. I think like asking for help or wanting help that it becomes like something which they. Don't not like they don't want, but like they don't feel like they like, uh, like they need yeah. in a sense. Um, another thing I want to ask you is that you know you mentioned some of the challenges that you've dealt with, um, you know, in your line of work. Like you know, looking back, is there anything that you feel like you would probably do different and be with certain individuals you've dealt with? You know, certain things that you've kind of done in your line of work that you could probably felt like you know I could probably could have done this better. You know, probably would have made you know um, this situation better. Yeah, I think I think with with sort of um, the work that I do, and I think also just as um as as, as, as an individual, um, sometimes I can be quite critical. Um, mm. And I think that's that's a good thing because I think sometimes when you're critical on yourself, you're constantly trying to improve, which alhamdulillah is actually I think is a good trait. Mm. Um, but you shouldn't be overcritical either. It's, it's a healthy balance. But I think um, I think when I first started off, when I was greener, when I was new to it, I think. Um, you know, I probably wasn't as assertive as I should have been sometimes. Mm-hmm. Probably didn't sort of um, sort of communicate things that I wanted to communicate as, as good as I probably could have. Uh, but I think that comes with wisdom. And, mm-hmm. and I say that because there's instances where, you know, there was probably some conversations that I should have just had blunt and said to some young people that I worked with when I was younger myself, that don't do this. Mm. don't do this but I think because I was young and I was green and sometimes I knew them on a personal capacity outside of work mm. it was hard to kind of just say don't go down that road because yeah. you know as a young person myself who started got into youth work young sometimes I was trying to deal with some of those same issues yeah. and I was trying to be the professional at the same time yeah. so it's hard to kind of say what do I say here because I think you know this guy's saying what I'm going through myself so that was the challenge and I think you know as I've got older and I've humbled I've kind of got just you know, more and more confident with my role. I think, you know, sometimes now if I see a young person making a, you know, a big mistake, I'll just say it and I'll call them out on it. For example, if there's, you know, this is the sort of thing that I've dealt with numerous occasions where I've had, you know, young girls being exploited by older men. And and, and, and I'm at a point now, if I see that, I would just say, don't do it because this guy is no good for you. And I can tell you why, and I can give it the reality. And if it means I have to bring somebody in who's been through this whole process, if that's the only thing that's going to wake you up, then so be it. But I'm very, very, you know, 
I'm 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 fair, but I'm assertive now. But mm. I feel because you have to be because mm. if you try to just sugarcoat everything and say, oh well, don't do this, people don't get it. I think you know with the work that I'm doing is it's lives, it's people's lives. You know, mm. we have to. You know, for me, I look at my daughter and I think this is somebody's child. It's not different. So I come from a place of passion when I talk to these people and I say how it is, and I think most people appreciate that because they don't get that. I think it's also like you know, kind of like you know, because how you're seeing them, you're not seeing them as like, you know. So, like another checklist mm. or like something else you 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 know you have that genuine concern from them somebody's child it, like you see them as somebody's child you, you I think because you are a father yourself yeah, you see that you know, like, this could be my like yes. this could this is my child yeah. so you kind of have that more concern I feel like you know I'm telling you like for example in a friendship group sometimes because a lot of the time because we're very individualistic because of what you know this whole thing of me myself and I is promoted in society yeah. we don't like have that mentality where like when we're seeing somebody do something wrong yeah. not just like your your line of for example we see our friends do something wrong. For example, I do some haram that I shouldn't be doing. We kind of feel like, oh, you know what, should I tell them? Should I not tell them? Because, you know, that they might, you know, like, I don't want to put them off or something, and it? Like, you know, I just forget it. I just, I just focus on my fat. I just focus on, I focus on, you know, not breaking that relationship with them. But I think, like, kind of, like we should have that concern for them, any That, you know, that anybody, be it your youth worker, your friend or somebody, whatever it is, you just see them as, you know, your family. That's what... You know, I think in, 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 you know that's part of our thing that you know we're part of a global family, regardless whether we're whether you're blood relative or whatever. You know, we're united by um, by iman, and that we should have that same concern for our for another person's daughter, another person's you know our own friends as we would do for our own brothers, our own sisters, yeah. etc. Uh, so that's what I talk to you about because you know hearing you know the kind of stuff that you've done, the kind of stuff that you've dealt with, and I see, I genuinely see like a need for the kind of the kind of work that you do. But so I gotta ask this because you know when I was at school, and mind you, I just finished university like a I week and a bit ago, like um, and really you know majority of my life I spent in education, and sure. you know I went to a, you know a usual uh, you know um, secondary school specifically. I went to like a normal secondary school, you know, um, and I've been around people who you know who are involved in the kind of kind of um, lifestyle which with you know which similar to the kind of youngsters that you've dealt with and I've never seen this kind of work you know that that should have been accessible to them even if it was the people who were trying to like provide that kind of resource to them like there wasn't much that they could do they were either limited by resources etc why do you feel that was like why do you feel that like do you feel that there isn't much of you know a support or work available for youngsters, and if so, why? Like, what do you feel that is? I think what it is is like I think Alhamdulillah, we're living in a time where there is lots of support out there. Mm. I think what a lot of people don't know is how to access the support. Mm. And I think if we look at numbers to support, the ratio is always way higher. Mm. So meaning, if we we're in a if we we're in a community with certain project, we might promote. We might be able to work with say capacity of thirty people, but in that area, there might be need for two hundred people, mm. um, out of which we've only got not even a, a fraction. Mm. So that's where I think lots of people they don't hear about these things, they don't see these things, and it's not that they're not out there, but sometimes people just don't know or don't know where to start looking. Um, and it sounds really strange because you'd think most people could just go online and do some research, but some people struggle with that sort of thing mm. as well. So they just don't know. I've worked in areas where we've run food banks, and I've met people who said I've lived here for twenty years. I just didn't know you you were here. And it's amazing. You're like, wow. Yeah. And we're trying to do everything we can in terms of social media, you know, partnership work, promoting. So it just goes to show that sometimes people are living, you know, very, very isolated lives or sometimes people are living in their bubble. And I think, alhamdulillah, I think what happens is like, Swan, like we, we make assumptions that mm. we're living in, you know, 2021, everybody's, you know, savvy with technology yeah. there's, there's people out there you know yeah. I've, I've worked with groups of people when I was in Sandwall years ago um, I worked with families who had never been out of the Sandwall postcode and I took mm. I took kids I took a group of kids from Sandwall on a bus to Birmingham city mm. centre and it was like it was a first and I'm talking 1819 and like it sounds really really surreal but this is the reality this is what's going on so there's some people out there who just don't know how to access support or ask for support so I think you know mm. there is a need and I think the reality is, is with this sort of work there's always going to be a need and I think You'll never be able to say, well, because of our project, we've resolved the problem. What mm. we're trying to do is work with people and empower them to kind mm. of, you know, to make the right choices mm. and then work with others. But the reality is, is there's going to be another generation come through and they're going to go through the same issues and the same problems. And but do you feel continuous. That like, but do you feel like, you know, like um, that there's not enough, like, I want to say that, like, you know, because when I was at school, you know, even though there was these kind of things available, I just felt like, 
there wasn't much support given to these people, these these, these people, individuals who are trying to support young people in the various the, the various problems that they go through. Yeah. Do you feel that a lot of that is due to like, for example, like things like lack of funding, lack of you know um, importance given to the kind of work that people like yourselves do? So it is a lack of funding. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of funding is being pulled. So um, you know there was a time where where lots of um, education sort of providers would get sort of specific mm-hmm. pots of money just to work with specific groups. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, um, more and more funding is becoming scarce, which means people are working with less budget, which mm-hmm. means sort of educational institutes usually focus on sort of the core, the core criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything what they'll deem as enrichment or additional sort of um, activities, additional support, that becomes, is being pulled. And I think it's being pulled more so over the last decade than ever. And, and I think now... Do you feel that like that... that like that kind of factor restricts you more in terms of your work. Definitely, definitely, mm. because you know we're working with with pots of funding that, like I said, they, they, we're we're covering areas that are massive, mm. but our, our our capacity with our team with the funding is limited to so many numbers, and that's the challenge. Um, how do you sort of um, you know how do you facilitate um, an area where the need is dire, but there's just not enough services? So you know, I think for us, it's about finding the most difficult, hard to reach cases that nobody's picking up and working with those. So you know, sometimes there's people we're working with who are off the grid, and not, what we mean by that is they're just unknowns to, to the system you know mm. they just they just nobody's picked them up and nobody really knows they exist and it's, it sounds terrible but that's a reality that's, I feel like you know personally I feel like the system has kind of like failed young people if I'm well, being honest with you well the, the thing there's things that 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 are not right in schools and, and and I say this not that I'm being critical but this is an example of the reality so mm-hmm. careers advice I've worked with lots of young people in the employability and I've had the conversations where people have said things like well when I was in school I wanted to be a professional footballer mm. but now I've left school I can't I'm like, well, who told you you're going to be a professional footballer? Mm. My careers advisor said, if you do sports, you you can do, you, you, that might be a route for you. But I was like, how realistic is that for you? Mm. And nobody's had those real conversations. And that's mm. what I think is missing, you know. And this is why I go back to saying assertiveness and reality yeah. checks. Because if you tell somebody who's naive mm. that you can be an astronaut overnight, they will start to believe that till they land, you know, in a situation where somebody says, okay, well, you're going to have to study for the next probably 10 years, then you're going to have to be shortlisted out of thousands of people. So all of a sudden it's like, well, hang on now, this is not what I thought. And I think that's the problem. Sometimes the careers advised in school, it's, it's not real. Um, nobody's having honest conversations and people are being set up to fail where people yeah. are told if you want to be a singer study music if you want to be a sports professional just do sports but nobody's saying how good are you at football I think that's why it's you become know, nowadays I feel like the system has now just become a business I'm, I'm telling you from coming from uni yeah. university this year has been I'm not going to I'll be honest with you and, this, and a lot of my friends can vouch for it has been probably the worst year of our lives because you know because of COVID going online and you know I can't blame the Jews for that I know that some of them they did try yeah, I can't be, I can, all I can, you know, I, I think my blame and my frustration goes towards the institution because they just seen it as a business. They've, they, you know, they've, they've kind of, if you want to say, robbed us of, yeah, for almost 27 yeah. grand, probably even more, <laughs> 27, probably more grand of, of money. Yeah. And they haven't given us much to work with. And I think that's why it's become like, you know, uh, nowadays the system, education institution, they've just become a business where they take a lot, a lot of money from you and they don't really offer much to you. And a lot of that money is just going to, if I'm being honest with you, uh, you know, um, you know the the people up top, and and I kind of remind me. I'm not sure if you saw my WhatsApp status that I posted yesterday, and it's a it's from a TikTok that I seen, and it's from a, um, a panel discussion they had on BBC, and it's, it's more so to do with knife crime. But like the point that this woman kind of raised, it kind of got got me, got, got me thinking a lot. And she's a woman in the audience, I believe she was like a mother, and she said that look, we've been talking oh, about yeah. knife crime yeah. for so many years since 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 the nineties. It's powerful. Knife crime. Yeah, very powerful. It's yeah. very. Yeah. I, I find it very powerful. Yeah. It got me thinking. She's saying that you know we talk about knife crime since the nineties, yeah. and nothing's changed. It, rather, things are getting worse. Yeah. More kids are getting stabbed. More mothers have to like bury their own kids. This isn't right. And what's going on? You know, we're saying, oh, million, you know, millions of pounds are being put into this. This is, but where is it? Where's the fruits of it? But rather, what you see is that, like, for example, with taxpayer money, with all this kind of money that is being put for so-called funding, a lot of it is, you know, a lot of you, you see, like, you see the complete opposite. And what you see is, like, for example, certain MPs, certain people, certain politicians, you know, their their salary has been raised up. Like, for example, this year during the whole, well, most of it during the whole COVID lockdown period, the amount of um, I was just doing general research myself, and I saw that a lot of MPs, a lot of um, people from like the Tory party, you know, they like their salaries had increased a lot. And I think, okay. Why their salary is increasing for where's what you know, don't get me wrong, why what they do may be of some importance, but well where where's the funding for to help students, students with their education who, you know, and we've seen like, you know, students because they're struggling with education and teachers as well, mental health has been on the rise, you know, people, you know, grades are 
no, the, the grades this year are predicted to be like probably the worst or probably even low mm. when we saw up in last year as well. Mm. And it gets me thinking that, you know, like, I feel like the system has failed people because all they've just done is that, you know, look, you know, they just rob people of their money and they've, you know, A, they rob people of their money and B, they pushed out like ideas into society, like, you know, be free, do whatever you want, do what benefits mm. you, da, da, da. Mm. And, you know, they've just left people to do whatever they want to do without actually taking accountability for what they've done. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. And I think, I think, you know, you, you've made some, some, some good points and I think, you know, a lot of it is that that, that basically we're living in this, a time now where, you know, unfortunately, lots of organisations, it's business mm. model first. Yeah. And that's all about making profit. It's all about sustainability. And I think what's what's happening is people are compromising mm. the ethical side of things, of especially when it comes to, to education and young people. And I think you can see that's very apparent. And, and mm. the question you have to ask yourself is, like you mentioned, um, you know, these problems that we're talking about, it's not new. You know, knife crime gangs, people, you know, people being young people being unemployed, finding difficult to get into work opportunities after leaving education mm. this is not new stuff 100%. so the question you have to ask is why is nothing being done of course. and I think when you start to look into the the, the, the sort of the the, the the bottom of it you know when you get into the nitty gritty it does boil down to you know a lot of failed promises made by politicians who, who often say a lot of things and, and again I'm not being cynical or critical but you have to you know we have to be honest at the same time we 100%. can't be naive and say oh well everything's great it's of not course, so it's I not. think this is it's something that has to come top down. Mm. Um, but I think this is where, you know, it becomes really complicated because unfortunately sometimes things aren't changing and they're getting more challenging mm. because if we look at things like unemployment, it's getting higher. It's you know, if we look mm. at uh, things like inflation, it's something going up. Mm. If we look at the population, it's something growing bigger. Mm. So we have to, we have to recognise that things are getting more challenging. So I think coming back to sort of bringing it back to, to the Dean, I think what we have to do is, is really look at what our Dean teaches. And one of the things our Dean teaches is taking ownership yeah, 100%. You know, and I think one of the things that people should be doing now, um, you know, is taking ownership for themselves because I think that one of the things that we're seeing is mm. people who are completely reliant on the system, mm. they're not getting any outcomes because the system's often failing. And I'm not mm. saying that's down to any one person, but I think the you know, the system is is under resourced, mm. um, it's overly subscribed, mm. and the budgets are becoming more and more restricted. So yeah. I think you know a lot of it's that that's down to the economy as well, yeah. and I think there's been so many sort of challenging sort of things in the last year or so, like COVID, that's made. The economy, you know, and we're looking at Brexit. Yeah. So all of this has an has an, has an effect on other things, yeah. and it does come, you know, this trickle down to education as well. Yeah. So I think the way to deal with that now is to take ownership. You of know, course. you've got to start to think for yourself. Mm. You can't rely on people telling you what you should be doing. You've got to think, what can I do? What can mm. I do to help myself, help my family? Mm. And it does take, it does sort of, um, you know, I think you've got to have a plan. You you can't just. You know, you've really got to have a plan. You've got to start mm -hmm. thinking about what do I want to do, taking serious steps to make things happen. Whether it's an education, whether it's a career, mm -hmm. but you've got to take ownership. And mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah, you know, if you if you do that, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will aid you. But mm -hmm. this is where it comes back to you. know, as Muslims, it's about your man. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, you know, who will open doors from where you, you know. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, I'm paraphrasing what Allah says in the Quran that I'll open doors in ways and means you don't even expect. But this is what Taqwal is trust is, yeah, and this is where it boils down to. Mm -hmm. And this is why Alhamdulillah, our Deen is so beautiful because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that don't worry about all of this. Mm -hmm. You know. Ultimately, put your reliance on me and ask me, and I will open the way. And alhamdulillah, you know, I can say from my own personal experiences, I've been in situations in times of my life where it just looked like, how am I going to get out of this? You know, mm. and alhamdulillah, that's what I've done. I've just said, you know, Allah, I put my hands up to you. Mm. And especially in the last few years, alhamdulillah, you know, um, so much has happened, but mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has just given me a way out every time. Yeah. So I think for us as believers, as Muslims, you know, we have ultimate, the ultimate, you know, we have the ultimate, you know, strength, la hawla wa la la billah, and all strength parts of Allah. So we turn to Allah, you know, Al-Qawi, mm. the strong, mm. and, uh, you know, Al-Qaqim, you know, the wise, mm. Al-Wudud, the loving, and he will give you a solution, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's important. But I think going back to kind of the system, I think the thing now to get away from is too much reliance on it. You've mm. got to take ownership. For example, the system will say you can claim A, B, and C benefit. And that might be a great short-term mm. solution. But what they won't talk about is, you know, real career pathways. If you go mm. to the job centre, it's it's very, very, and I'm not trying to be sort of, again, cynical, critical, or blaming any one person. Mm. But the reality is, it's not specialised careers advice. Mm. It's very generic. Mm. Just get a job. Why mm. don't you go on an apprenticeship? Here's mm. a scheme. And often they're under pressure to just put people on something that's deemed as an outcome. Exactly. But it's a tick box exercise because there's yeah. no quality. You know, if somebody hates a forklift truck driving job, why are you going to force them to do a forklift truck yeah. driving? Because like, it doesn't make sense, but they'll do that because for them, it's just a body now has progressed. Mm. But that's not progression because the reality is if somebody's heart's not in it, if they don't want to do that, mm. if that's not what they're feeling, they're going to just drop off. That's so yeah. you've got to take ownership. And I think this is where, you know, I feel young people and families, you know, families, parents, you know, 
you can't just rely on the school. You know, you can't mm -hmm. just rely on the state. You've got to be a parent. I mean, your kids okay. come home, you've got to have real conversations. You've got to give them real advice. Mm -hmm. You've got to be smart. We've got to be worried about our kids because mm -hmm. things are getting tougher. The challenges as well, mm -hmm. put aside all of the ec economics, the challenges, mm -hmm. just like in terms of society, yeah. in terms of now there is this new age spirituality yeah. where people follow where it's like kind of just live your life, do what you want. Yeah. But the thing with that is it's detrimental of and it might seem it really, really all happy, go lucky on the surface. A lot of consequences though. A lot exactly, of exactly. Mm. When you get into the depths of it, that's a very, very dangerous way to be. Discipline mm -hmm. structure is important in life. 100%. I feel like that thing where you said ownership, accountability, I think that's what's needed. Not not just from young people, but I think throughout, all, throughout you know, um, everywhere in all facets, like you said, from young par from young people to parents to even the system themselves, and I think that until we get that kind of accountability, um, I just I feel like things are probably gonna get more worse than than than, than they should be. Um, we're kind of moving on, inshallah. Um, you know, as this is a podcast for young Muslims, um, and obviously, kind of like because alhamdulillah you have a lot of experience dealing with young people, etc. Um, most of the leading on to young Muslims, what are like some of the you know some of the issues? You feel young Muslims face living in Western society? I think the biggest two that come to mind is relationships, mm. is the first one. And the second one is um, um, struggling to find a sense of identity. Mm. These are probably the two biggest issues that I see right now in Muslim youth. And um, to elaborate, one of the things I often see is young people, they go to college, mm. they go to university, and they often meet somebody and they will then want to pursue a marriage. Mm. So often the time, these young people meet somebody, they come home, have the conversation, mum and dad. Mum and dad are just like, nope, it's not happening. Mm. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that, you know, you rush into these things because mm. it's a double-edged sword and I explain of what course, I mean by yeah. that. Sometimes young people are, Again, you know, I use the word green, meaning, you know, they're naive, they're fresh, they've never... Mm. But you can't just meet the first person that you come across and get infatuated of course, of and course, think that, yeah. you know, I'm going to marry this person because that's naivety. That's mm. not reality. What you're seeing then is often somebody who's portraying themselves a certain way mm. because when you're at home and you're living with your parents, you can dress up like it's Eid every day and go mm. to school, college and university and act like that's your real life. Mm. You can go out and hang out with a group of friends and you might be intermixing with this person thinking, oh, this person is really nice, mm. but you're having a Subway sandwich, you know, with five people. That's not reality. Yeah. Reality is, is when you're married and you've got to run a house. Mm. And this is the side of people, what people don't see. And I've seen so many failed marriages from mm. young people who have rushed, you know, they've been in college. Emotion, yeah, acting on blind yeah, emotion. Yeah. They've got married, you know, really young. And mm. they're like, no, sir, I'm going to marry this. And I'm like, you know, or sir, I'm going to marry this guy. And I'm saying, listen, you're not, you're not being smart right now. Mm. This is just blind emotion. Mm. You know, you need to look at the reality. And again, where's this coming from? Let's look at the music industry, lovey-dovey songs. Let's look at some of the, the, the movies out there, you know, mm. the, the lovey-dovey movie stories where, you know, Romeo, Juliet, that's not real. That's mm -hmm. this, it's just not real. And this is the thing, I think a lot of young people are influenced by this stuff and that they think it's, it's, it's not real. And then, you know, I've seen so many people rush and then it fails. But on the other side, when it, you know, the reason I say it's a double-edged sword is because often there are some instances mm -hmm. where actually legitimately there might be a young, you know, might be somebody mid-twenties mm -hmm. who's at a point now, they have got a job, they're also studying, they met somebody and actually they could they could actually get married. They're very compatible. They've fought mm -hmm. it through. They've been smart. They haven't rushed. They've used them. They've used them. Um, 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 they've used somebody as an intermediary. So it's not just mm -hmm. been haram. They've done yeah, the course, everything yeah. through the Islamic channels. Mm -hmm. And then the parents, they could facilitate. But this is what I'm saying. It's a double A. So because sometimes the parents will still say no because mm -hmm. culturally they're not happy with that. They mm -hmm. want the boy needs to be earning X amount. Yeah. He needs to have this, this and this before my daughter marries and vice versa for my daughter to marry you or, or, you know, it's, it's the way around, you know, for your son to marry my girl, we want this or for your, you know, boy to marry my son. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, it's, it's like, it's, it's the, the, the list is, it's amazing. And I say this because my <laughs> nephew, my nephew's 26 and he's telling me this every day. He's like, uncle, you know, I'm trying to, he's, he's signed up with all these matrimonials and he's getting, you know, sometimes, you know, um, sisters, you know, who are my mm. age, you know, looking at who are looking for potentials, talking to his mom, which is my mm. sister. And the list is amazing. Like, subhanAllah, it's like, it's amazing. It's like, does he have a house? Does he have a car? What's his career? How much does he earn? Is he willing to travel the world? And it's like, this, this isn't real. Like, you're buying into a package. Now, let's say, for instance, let's say if we said yes, let's say somebody, somebody says, yes, I am ABC. What happens if they lose that job? What mm. happens if they become disabled? What happens if something happens that throws them off? You can't marry somebody for just a status or just for materialism. You have to look at the iman. You have to look at the person, 100%. the values. 100%. That's what's missing. 
So I think, you know, these that's a real big issue because it's causing families mm. to break up and divide. Kids mm. are running away. Parents are not facilitating where they could. Mm. And there's all these expectations of what a marriage should be mm. in terms of the cultural pressures. A lot yeah. of times materialism. So this is making the, the haram easier to access as opposed to the halal. And as, as the elder generation, I'm reaching out to my brothers and sisters my age. We have to facilitate our kids. Mm. We can't say no. If, they, if, we're, if they're at our age of marriage and we can facilitate it and they've found somebody, we can support them mm. and have those real conversations. I can also promise that if we navigate them, if it's a wrong choice, They'll probably not do it If we support mm -hmm. But if those elders Are going to say You can't do it And shut mm -hmm. them down The chances are They're going to run yeah, And course, it's going to yeah. turn nasty And it gets really complex The other thing going to, uh, to elaborate on The second thing Which which was the um, the, the Sense of identity What mm -hmm. I mean by that Is often You see young You know I see lots of young youths Locally And they're imitating Other cultures yeah. I've had I've had youths Come up to me Talk to me You know I'm many occasions Where it's like Wah go on sir <laughs> And I'm like what? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, I once say, uh, when you talk to your dad, I've heard you, it's like, Aslam, I've got a boo, a meme, a roti, but yeah, you know, like Punjabi, I mean, you're, you're patty mate. It's like, you talk to your mum like a child, but you come to college, you're walking with a limp, and I'm Wagwan Sir, and like, it's like, this is this is fake. With persona. a full attitude, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So stop that and just talk to me normally. Let's have a real conversation. Sit down, and you know, lose all the weirdness. So like, just have it be you. But the problem is, a lot of young people, that it's almost like they're looking to be somebody mm. because. And I often feel it's because they're not seeing positive role models. Yeah. And I think it's a shame because often it's because they're disconnected from Islam. They're looking at the culture, but not Islam. If you look at the history of Islam, I think you and I talked about this one of our first conversations. Yeah. We've got so many positive role models. Yeah. And do you know what? Do you know and a prime example of this? It shows that it's true. Is um, You've got the Ertugal season now. Yeah. You know, how many Muslim youths are walking around with the, um, the hat? The hat, yeah, yeah. The Ottoman hat. So it yeah. just shows, you know, they found something they can connect yeah. to and that's a prime example. But the problem is that there's such a disconnect now. But I think people need to connect to the deen, look mm -hmm. at our history, look at the seer of the prophets, look at the companions, mm -hmm. learn about our modern time history, look at the Ottoman Empire, mm -hmm. look at like, you know, the the um the, the lives of the prophets. Look at the history of the you know Islam. Look at mm. what we established in the first couple of hundred years. Look how much impact we've had on modern medicine. Mm. You know, learn about these people. Um, but again, I don't blame any one person. It's because often these nobody's doing it. Like nobody's pushing this. What I mean by that is not to be critical again. Mm. But you know, often you go to a masjid and you know nobody talks about some of the issues. You know, nobody's mm. really talking about. You know, are you in the gang? Are you doing drugs? How'd you get out of that? You know, mm. there's not there's very there's a lot. Sometimes, if anything, there's, there's a lot of judgment. It's very judgmental. Like, yeah. why are you even in here? You don't even look right. You're not dressed right. And that sometimes happened. I've had young people tell me that. I've had a young guy tell me that he went to a masjid and he had a t-shirt on and he goes, mm -hmm. somebody had a go at him. An older guy, way older than me, like somebody in the sixties, had a go mm -hmm. at him and said that you, you can't, you can't, you can't dress like that. Then he goes, I went to the wudu and the guy goes, you, you, you're wasting water and you're gonna break the tap. And he mm -hmm. goes, then in the end, a young imam came in. Who told off the older guy and said to him, "Look, just come in and pray." Mm. And this was an example of a good imam. Mm. Um, but you know, these are realities. So mm. you know, if we don't provide these these role models, if we don't showcase this stuff, then young people will feel like you know, who do we belong to? And our youths, what they're listening to, they're listening to hip hop, gangster rap. Mm. They're watching, they're watching movies, Hollywood. They're watching Bollywood. You know, this is what's influencing them. And the other time you look at it, especially in the night, especially I know guys who listen to music, heavy music, and a lot of what's being promoted, like for example, I remember. I was in the car. I was in the car with all my friends, and we were going somewhere. And he listened to music. He's just blasting it, and I, I was just like, I was just, I was listening to the music, like the, the, like the, the actual music itself, the tune and whatnot. It was, a, it was a nice beat and everything. I was, just, I wasn't even paid. I was into actual lyrics. And in the lyrics, I'm like, it disgusted me. It was filth because all the guys talking about, oh, you know how he's, you know, like he just basically like degrading women essentially. Yes. yes. Like in a such a disgusting manner yes. I would be ashamed it's to even talk shameful, to like I, I, I would yeah. be ashamed to even like have my mom listen to the exactly. city centre we've, you know we've, all, we've all got a mom we've all yeah, probably got sisters nieces mm. you've got to understand that you know Islam gives women such a beautiful status mm. you know there's only one there's a chapter in the verse named after Mariam, a woman, you know, which of her, there's no description that's done that. So our deen teaches us to honor our women. That's why we don't shake hands with women, not because we're being, oh, we don't shake hands with women, mm. we're too good. It's because we're honoring that woman. Mm. We're giving her that dignity saying, that's for you. We don't touch you. Mm. That's uh, that's what it is. But it's putting that into perspective mm. because, you know, I Muslim Jews, you know, a lot of them, they are listening to this stuff and it's mm. affecting them. I've seen young kids in the morning, I'm driving to work and they're at the bus stop and, you know, they're looking their eyes, you know, they're crossing the road and they're looking at you like they want to kill you. And it's like, where is this coming from? But then I can see the earpods. What I'm consumed. like, you're listening, you know, for the last two hours, you've- Some guy told you how, how you stabbed this man. Yeah, and you're listening to yeah. kill, 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 shoot, shoot, shoot. You know, 
you know, some of the lyrics, some of the words, we can't even, it's, it's we can't dangerous. even say. It's but dangerous. it affects the psyche. Of course, 100%. It affects your psyche. And I feel like that's why I kind of like you say, you know, like I agree with you 100% on the issue that young Muslims face is that I think first thing, 100% identity. Yeah. We don't know where we belong. And I'm talking, yeah. to, you, talking to you from actually experiencing this. You know, I grew up in a, you know, a somewhat typical Bengali household. But I never felt like that because, you know, I've only been to Bangladesh a few times here and there. Yeah. You know, Alhamdulillah, my Bengali is good. I am somewhat into my, you know, my 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 ethnic background, but not as much because I never had that connection there. So I didn't ever feel like I belonged to Bangladesh at that time. You know, that I belonged to my culture. You know, I, you know, and then I like going and obviously because I white skin, you know, because my condition, I felt like you know I couldn't mix with you know with the white lads. You know, because because of stuff that I was brought up with. You know, being a Muslim, I can't really you know mix with them or like. You know, and like I, there was no sense of belonging. You know, and I feel like a lot of people have that. Even like be just being a Muslim because of how society we live in today is very, you want to say, anti-Islam. Yeah, you know, where being a practicing Muslim, it's something to look down upon. Like you know, a very funny story. Uh, one of my friends, he recently started practicing, and he, Alhamdulillah, before he wasn't that much practicing. Now he started praying his five salahs and everything. Sure, and I remember, like, one of my other friends said, "You know what? Oh, that this guy's become proper Mulvina." And look, and like, and like, and like, you know, someone yeah. just praying their five times obligation yeah. is seen as too religious. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm, and like, not just that. Like, even if you want to be somebody who wants to do their best to live their lives according to how Allah had commanded, and you know, and even talking about Islam and even somewhat defending it, which you, you know, is looked down upon. Is even like you know, you shouldn't talk about Islam. Yeah. You know, just Fine. pray your five salahs, fast in Ramadan. You know, when you get a chance, read your Quran, go to masjid, that kind of stuff. When it comes to everything else, just you know, just follow some somebody else or do whatever you want to do. I feel like because we, as young Muslims, we don't have that kind of we don't know where we belong. We look for it in other people, other things, like you said, be it relationships, be it in these rappers, artists, be it in these different kind of cultures. Like what you see, for example, like a South Asian Muslim lad who'd be acting like somebody who's from the African continent. Yeah. 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 Um, and like, as a second thing, also like kind of comes into his confidence in our own deen because a lot of the time, you know, I'll be honest with you, we were just born Muslim. We were given Muslim names. To Aputtar, you know, prayer five salahs, fast in Ramadan, da, da 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 And we don't understand why we actually do these things. Why do we actually pray our salahs? Yeah. You know, do, are we actually convinced that Allah exists? Are we actually yeah. convinced that Adin is the truth? Are we actually convinced that in the purpose, in the reason why it exists? Because unfortunately, the society we live in today is very, you want to say, anti God, in a sense, yeah, mm. where, you know, where there's this thing that, you know, God has no, you know, leave your God, leave your mm. religion in your in your homes and your places of worship, outside life, just don't involve God. And that has impacted us as Muslims, mm. um, how we how we conduct us, how we convey ourselves. And I say also, again, the other thing is like, probably more so um, to do with like, um, I'll say, the more so to do with like, um, not confidence, sorry, or is it to do um, with, yeah, with society as well. Because like you said, society is pushing young Muslims towards a direction which they don't belong to, which they don't fit in. It's giving them all these ideas, be like you said, by what's being pushed in music, by the kind of lovey dovey thing that's being pushed in, you know, TV and whatnot. And it's pushing them towards a way of life, towards an identity which doesn't suit them when they try all that, when they, you know, test and trial that they see, oh, they see, you know what, it's not for me and they end up falling into bigger problems. Um, so yeah, you know, I think that young Muslims go through many issues, you know, in West society. And something I just want to touch on is this thing about confidence. Cause I feel like confidence is very key, especially for young Muslims living in today. Especially with some of the things that me and you had to talk about prior to when you said that some of the issues that young Muslims face, especially in schools. You know, quick question to yourself: What does confidence mean to you? Confidence is just you know, kind of try to put that in in, in terminology. It's about just having the ability to carry out. On, on, on the actions that you're committing yourself to do. Mm. And I think, you know, confidence is something that it's, it's a skill in itself. It comes with, with practice, you know, but to become confident, you've got to take yourself out of your comfort zone. You know, you can't coast, you can't play easy. You've got to mm -hmm. put yourself in situations where you are, you're not comfortable, but then it's when you thrive and you come, you know, you overcome and, and you kind of get past that barrier, you know, mm. uh, alhamdulillah, this is why I think um, fitness is a good tool. It's yeah. a good tool. And I say that because, Fitness, it's like, you know, when you're in the gym mm. and you start, you know, lifting weights and you're training or whatever it is you're doing, you start to break through barriers. And sometimes when you start, you know, you think, you know, you think, well, I'm never going to be able to do, and let's just say, let's say you've never done a chin-up in your life and you think, I'm, I, can't, I can't do a chin-up. And yeah. when you can't do a chin-up, it seems impossible, mm. you know. <laughs> but when the day you do your chin-up, you're like, wow, you know, it's such a nice feeling because you've, you've done that, you know, it's taking you three months of dedication and now you're doing your chin-up. Mm. But the point I'm trying to make is mentally, you've now taught yourself that it's possible. Mm. 
but you can then have that same mentality to life. You know, if you're in a situation where you think there's no way out, believe, believe, you know, believe you need there is a way out, but you have to put in the time, the effort, and you have to persevere. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, when you've got, it comes down to conviction as well. It comes down to faith in Allah as a Muslim. You know, if you've got complete belief in Allah and you read the Quran and you connect to the Quran, you know, even the, some of the stuff that you mentioned earlier about, mm-hmm. you know, people like cultural, like they're giving the names, Muslim mm-hmm. name, but they live their life how they want. Yeah, and that's that's a real issue because you know that's culture, not Islam, and mm-hmm. it comes down to connecting. But the thing about Adin is what I'd want to say to to anybody who's disconnected is it's 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 not it's not just you know it's not it's 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 intellectually um, sound. Like you can you can question the Quran, you know, mm-hmm. you can question the passages, you can reflect upon it. But when you honestly do with integrity without any biases, mm-hmm. you will find that it's the most logical, most clear clear. You know, book there is, and it will mm-hmm. give you a solution to everything. It's real counselling. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need a counsellor if you if you read the Quran and you mm-hmm. connect with it. But this comes down to iman. But to gain iman, you have to open the Quran and read the Quran mm-hmm. and look at the ayats. What what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying? Reflect. He gives you examples of looking at nature. Why? Because if you think about nature, you know it's an amazing thing. You know, and I'm not talking about just you know general observation. Break it down. Look at mm-hmm. quantum physics. Look at science. Look at all of these things. As well as that, look at it from like the parable of what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says. Um, he gives you um, sorry not the parable the analogy of of like not even an analogy Allah Subhanahu wa Taala clearly says he says um, you know once you were lifeless mm-hmm. and then you came into being how many people just think about how why am I here mm-hmm. like it's an amazing thing to think like I'm 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 forty years old somebody says to me forty one years ago where were you I didn't exist it's such a weird surreal thing it's like I didn't exist even saying it seems weird because when we're here we we have this assumption like we've always been here and the problem about this mentality is, is it's delusional because people often some people feel they're always going to be here and this is why sometimes you meet people who are like 90 years old mm-hmm. and they're hoarding money still yeah. it's like dude you're 90 years old what's your issue it's like I still work 7 days a week and I've got billions and I'm going to make another billion it's like but you're 90 years old don't you know? <laughs> did you not see this is an issue like don't you think that you should just stop now you've got enough I think money that's the problem, though. I think this that, is it yeah. I think that's it. we're not taught to think though we're just taught just act in the moment or just live life as a flow but never this ever this is the beauty of Islam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reflect on death of course because death too it's not something to be depressed about like today yeah. it's like don't talk about death it's depressing it's not depressing it's an ultimate reality of course but if you reflect on death you start to think well there's a purpose mm-hmm. it's creation that's why I say you know for somebody who's disconnected or they're culturally following Islam stop doing that open mm-hmm. up the Quran and please just open up the Quran and read it just read it without any biases. You know, I recommend the clear Quran. It's one yeah. of the best Qurans out there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's it just breaks down, th- break it down, take digest it slowly. But inshallah, you'll see what our deen is about. And mm-hmm. you know, when Allah guides you, that, that illumination of the heart, once that opens up, there's nothing in this life mm-hmm. that you will you will fear. There'll be no anxiety, no of worries. Course. And if anything, you the confidence will come because you know that Allah's in your corner. Let me give you an, an, an example. The Battle of Badr. Mm-hmm. You know, when when Aspandala aided the believers mm-hmm. with forty thousand angels, thirty thousand angels, I believe forty thousand angels, mm-hmm. um, it's thirty or forty thousand. However, those angels never turned up till mm-hmm. the believers were in the midst of the battle. Wow. They had to go to war before the world of the unseen yeah, came to their right. aid. Meaning you have to help yourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just sit at home and say, Well, nothing's going my way. Why is nothing happening? I made my dua. Mm-hmm. You've got to make your dua, then you've got to go up and act upon it. But mm-hmm. it all comes back to connecting and having conviction. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Adin is once you've got that identity crisis goes oh, away go, yeah, because you know who you are. You are a Muslim. You know, Alhamdulillah, when you know that and you you then that iman is mm-hmm. there, it's you can't, it's the most, you know, Allah space Allah says in the Quran that verily in the remembrance of Allah, mm-hmm. hearts find peace. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And this is what I mean. But when you start learning it, connecting, mm-hmm. you see you see the reality of Allah's world, you experience it firsthand. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about you listening to some nonsense music all of a sudden because then the only thing you want to connect to is the Quran. Because every time you hear it, it, it just it illuminates you. And I mean, you listen to detrimental mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I say detrimental because it is detrimental yeah, to the soul. 100%. You know, you don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, but you have to make the changes. Mm-hmm. But again, to, to make, you know, to connect to the deen, you know, it's not difficult, but you're going to have to still make changes. You're going to have to, you know, if somebody's listening to music all day and that's all they do, you know, they can't expect to, you know, and they're struggling with Salah. Well, it's no shocker because mm-hmm. what are you doing to help yourself? Get up, you know, get to the masjid. Just start mm-hmm. with one prayer a day, mm-hmm. but inshallah, that'll take it to two. But it's, you know, but it's a gradual process, but it's going to take time and effort. You know, everything, the deen will take time and effort. Lots of discipline, but, but alhamdulillah. But, but, but I think the main thing with confidence, especially the Muslims, is that, the thing that you said is that just thinking, reflecting. I think that anything which our deen always t- tells us to do, 
Think about it. Allah has given you a brain which has yes. the ability to think. Yeah. I think that's the problem is that society we live in today, it doesn't allow us to think, it doesn't allow us mm. to, to, to reflect upon it. It just tells you, know, oh, just do as I say or like follow this or just essentially it's blind follow, become sheep rather than actually thinking for yourselves. I think that as a Muslim, once you start thinking, reflecting upon something, upon your creator, upon your deen, that's when naturally you start having more confidence in it. Something else when I was trying to ask you is that like, you know, on the topic of confidence, why is it that you feel that why is that you think that young Muslims kind of struggle to have confidence in the deen when it comes to be living it or be comes to talking about things, um, especially in school, you know, uh, you know, different, different realities that, that occur, be the whole LGBT thing, be like, you know, for example, what happened recently with Palestine, you know, just generally, why do you feel that young Muslims have such a lack of confidence in their deen? I think we're living um, in a culture where, you know, a lot of people present um, culturally as Muslims and they're very apologetic because they feel pressure to mm. kind of conf conf sort of conform with society so they feel that they have to say yes sir no sir but the reality is it's far from it you know we have you know equality laws and those equality laws give us the the platform to, to speak our mind you know there's freedom of speech and we, and we should take advantage of that we're living in a, in a, in a, a, a diplomatic in a democracy where we can have conversations so i think it boils down to really um you know how much you value your belief i think that's what it calls down to you so mm. if you value something you'll stand up for it but if you don't see the value in it and you're 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 more inclined to something else, mm. then you're gonna just be like, oh, I don't want to talk about this, so I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe we should change the way we go about, you know, our life as Muslims, you know. But again, you can't, you know, we have a beautiful deen that we should mm -hmm. be proud of and we should implement and, and we should be happy to have discussions and dialogue and we should stand up and not be apologetic and say things how they are. Mm -hmm. Because our deen is it's is perfection. Mm -hmm. It's justice. If we if we connect with the deen, it it, it not only solves it. Uh, you know our problems, but it shows it shows it solves community problems. Mm -hmm. It's you know why do you have zakat? The reason you have zakat is two point five percent of your access wealth goes to the poor. Why? Because then the poor have uh, have have an income. Mm -hmm. So you know that's one of many examples of how it's not just about yourselves. Our deen is about the community as a whole. Mm -hmm. So similarly, if we have confidence, we understand this stuff. We're going to be talking about. A community So if there's a controversial mm. issue Where schools are You know Teaching one thing And we disagree Or if it was a discussion About Palestine and Israel You know We feel You know We should be confident Confident stand up And talk about You know What, what our view is and, and be honest about it mm. uh, You know Because it boils down to You know The understanding that if we follow the deen we're, we're not only resolving this issue But resolving lots of societal issues mm -hmm. But if we don't have this understanding And that connection Then it's very difficult Because it's mm -hmm. like saying to somebody Who doesn't know how to drive a car Let's, let's have a debate about um, How fast um, You know A A, 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 a 90s Voxel Corsa can go yeah. And they will be like I have no idea You know But they might stay a few things Because they've heard of cars They've heard of 90s Voxel Corsa I don't know why I've said 90s Voxel Corsa I actually had one I think that's what it is But like you know, Old memories Yeah old memories Yeah I had a rust box in my car My first car But um, <laughs> but like um, I think it, and, and this is what it is sometimes Unfortunately with Dean Often people just don't know Have enough knowledge And that's mm -hmm. fine You know You don't have to be an expert in knowledge But I think you should be able To have enough grounding Whereby you can stand up And, and be confident about What you stand for mm -hmm. And I think this is what it is you know there's that disconnect and often you know people aren't seeing role models but I think mashallah I think the good thing is though I think there is a change happening mm -hmm. you know and I do see this firsthand because I see that a lot of the, the new generation are connecting again mm -hmm. and a lot of people are sort of reverting back to Islam mm -hmm. you know there's so many people that I've met who have reverted you know who have come from Background you wouldn't believe you know from heavy metal to Islam you know subhanallah mm -hmm. so Allah's guiding and I think mm -hmm. this is the thing we need to be more aware of of What's the current situation with the Ummah and the Deen? And you know, with all the the, the the hardships we're going through as an Ummah, there's lots of positives as well that we just don't hear about. And I think they need to be sort of resurrected as well. Mm -hmm. That there's so many people writing to Islam every day. There's so many people who are, are on their Deen and they're firm and they, 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 they've got integrity with it. You know, there's so many brothers and sisters in the UK, in Birmingham, Alhamdulillah, who are so strong in their Deen. And, you know, often it's nobody's meeting these people and seeing these people. We see what we see on the media, yeah. which is very, very Islamophobic. Yeah. You know, so people have a perception and because people see that, you know, young people often are naive or people are just, you know, not connected to their deen the way they should be. When they see that Islamophobic stuff on TV, then they think, well, do I really want to be part of that? Should yeah. I just, you know, should I step away from the narrative? Yeah. So it puts them down. Yeah. So they almost feel like, 
like embarrassed. It's and almost and like, and oh, they're like, oh, when it comes to the, you know, I shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't act too Islamic or be known as yeah, that, you know, that extremist. They're going to connect me yeah, to an extremist. <laughs> it's like, you know, but it's like, what do you mean? Like, that's not us. You know, why, why are you playing into that portrayal of mm. that is you? Because I don't play into that. When somebody says to me, well, why is, you know, I, I and so on the news. I've had people challenge me. I've had people ask me questions though, on why is it on the news to say this about the Muslims? Why are Muslims doing these things? And I'm like, well, a lot of the news is picking up people who are not really even following Islam. They claim to be Muslim, but anybody can claim to be anything. You know, I can claim to be, you know, you can, I can claim to be your brother, go and rob a bank and tell the police it was his, you know, it's his idea. How, how does that, that's not true. That's just my narrative. So, you know, the reality is, is that that's just me acting upon my own impulse and making up a story. So often these people that they portray in the media as Muslims are not even following the deen. But they, but, but it's just this. This is the narrative now. You know, there's a very, very. You know, it's fortunate there's lots of Islamophobia. But I think if we want to get rid of that, we have to represent our Islam. We have to represent our deen. 100%. And if we could do that properly, I think Islamophobia would fade away. Would fade I away. Think, I think that's yeah. the. I think that's the issue though. That like with confidence, especially some things that I've I've experienced myself um, when I was just starting practicing as well. Was that like because the environment naturally, like I said, like you said, is very hostile towards Islam Muslims, the whole agenda of Islamophobia and whatnot. And like just genuinely, you know, if you wanted to be a practicing Muslim, it's generally down upon society, you're not seen as, you know, that amazing person, you're seen as like that kind of like a weirdo, in essence, like, you know, like kind of like a stranger, if you want to put it this way, yeah. um, because you pray five times a day, because you don't. You know, have girlfriends because you don't because you because you're very um, passionate about you know people in Palestine because you're because you're very you know because you're, you're very anti um, you know because you're very anti of LGBT all that kind of stuff you're almost seen as oh you know this very extreme you know very like you know this kind of guy and people think you know and then that I think that kind of is one thing which kind of puts a down on young Muslims they want to have confidence and they think like, you know look I you know a lot of people they don't like this so I'm just gonna like not not do that and the and like kind of like what you said before that the less you're inclined towards your way of life you're gonna be inclined towards another way of life that's right it's what we see with yeah. a lot of young people young Muslims today because they're not being inclined towards islam naturally they're yeah. being inclined towards the, the way of life that you know that western society has pushed towards them yeah. yeah and um just to kind of conclude inshallah what advice would you give for young muslims growing up in society the many issues they face and you know just generally how to have you know that that yearning, that confidence in their deen to become the next ambassadors of society to actually go out and make you know spread Islam and be the people who inshallah bring back inshallah. and revive Islam. I think first and foremost, what I would say, we're living in times where we're all being tested. Mm. It's so many, there's so many things. I mean, with social media and just mainstream media, we're constantly being bombarded as information overload. And I think sometimes what you need to do is just disconnect from it all mm. and just you know. Just think for yourself. Stop being a sheep. Think for yourself. Stop following the crowd. Stop following the, the latest trend, the next thing. Just, just be you. And mm -hmm. I think when you're, when you're true to yourself, you know, you've got to ask the deep questions. You know, you've got to ask yourself, what do I want from life? What do I want to do? Where am I going? And, you know, if, if somebody's disconnected from Islam, I'll say, just open up the Quran, reflect. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and if, if they're struggling with that, just do it slowly. You know, there's no rush. But I think integrity and being true to yourself and really questioning your, your basic moral mm -hmm. values and principles Inshallah, if you can do that, you know, there's a thing we call fitra, the invert nature that Allah yeah. has put in us, what God's put in us, that will come to the, that will flourish, but you have to give it a chance. And I think we, we almost, we, 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 we bombard ourselves with information overload. We don't give our fitra a chance to, to manifest because we're constantly like thinking from, the, you know, we're not letting the heart kind of come into play. Sometimes you've got to slow down what's what we're processing with the brain, mm. but you've got to let the, the heart like kind of lead you as well guide you as well and that fitra that invert that, that that natural sort of inclination towards the right way will come out inshallah but you have to give yourself a chance because you're constantly being bombarded with so much and I think what I see is young people switch every day from one look to another look to another trend to another way and they want to follow somebody else you need to get away from it slow yeah. it down and just you know there was a time when people never had this and they were a lot happier and healthier you know there was less mental health issues why because this is this information overload and it's too much pressure get away from it all be gentle to yourself, be kind to yourself. And if you have got a problem, reach out to somebody, reach out to somebody. And if, you know, I'm willing, if, if people wanted to reach out to yourself, you know, I'm happy to talk to somebody who wants to kind of reach out and he just wants to have a conversation. Alhamdulillah, that's not an issue. So if, if you guys have a means where people can contact you, mm -hmm. inshallah, you know, I, I can't get back to everybody. But, if, you know, if there was somebody who, who, who wanted a bit of guidance, I'll try my best to mm -hmm. respond personally and give some guidance. Because sometimes when you're reaching out, just having somebody on the other side yeah. to help you can make such a world of difference. 100%. The worst thing you can do is just bottle it and try it yourself. And I think a lot of people do that, especially young people, mm -hmm. you know, so... Don't be afraid to talk and ask for help if you need help. And inshallah, you know, 
you know, connect to Allah, make your du'as and, you know, just reach out to Allah, make a du'a to Allah first and foremost, to guidance for a good life, mm -hmm. for the best. And you know what, if you can do that with integrity, straight away you'll see things come into play. Allah mm -hmm. is near. That's, you know, Allah says in the Quran, I am near. So utilize the, 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 the blessing of du'a to access, you know, the Almighty, inshallah. And that's a very beautiful way to end it. Jazakallah um, for tuning in to the episode of the Link Up podcast. Um, again, wherever you listen to us on, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, please share that wildfire. Please do give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, smash the like button on YouTube, subscribe, and leave a comment how you found today your favorite part of the episode, um, as well as what other topics you'd like me to talk about and any potential guests that like me to bring on. A big jazakallah to Brother Sabi for taking the time out and actually, you know, giving us this, you know, really like, you know, enlightening and really like insightful. Um, you know Your word Your experience Which has Taught me a lot If I'm going to be honest with you uh, And yeah That's that's it um, Hope you guys enjoyed This episode of Link Up This episode of the Link Up podcast The very first podcast Which we've had You know A very face to face discussion Inshallah If Allah wills We'll have more of these sure. More to come um, Please keep myself Brother Sabir Our other guests And this Ummah in your duas Assalamualaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh